0: Good morning everybody. My name is Dustin. I am one of the members of the shepherding team at Redemption Greeley. I have the joy of leading one of the small groups, our redemption group. Um, I have the privilege this morning of opening God's word with you. We are going to take a look at John chapter 15 verses 18 through chapter 16 verse 4. There's been some speculation about why I get the passage about hating people. I tried not to take that to heart too greatly as I studied the word this week. Over the last several weeks we've listened and learned as Jesus has spent the last evening that he will have with his disciples, encouraging them, teaching them profound truths that will change their lives and that they will carry with them for the rest of their days. He started by teaching them a profound lesson of what it means to be a servant. Sitting at the Passover table, and washing dirty, stinky feet of those he loved and cared for. And with that as the preamble to his message, he sent his betrayer out the door. Go and do what you feel like you need to do. But once Judas left, Jesus begins to teach some amazing things, but he starts with what I can only think would have been heartbreaking news for the disciples. Guys, I'm not going to be with you very much longer. I'm going away, and where I'm going, you you don't get to follow. Stop and think about what that means to those men who have walked with their Lord and Savior for three years to hear, I'm not going to be with you very much longer. This is your dearest friend, and he's heading out the door. I have a hard time sending my wife to the grocery store without a little bit of a tear, let alone my teacher and my master and my comforter and my friend that I will know I will not see again. Jesus tries to soften the blow, I'm not gonna be with you very much longer by giving them truth after truth and joy after joy and promise after promise of what life is going to look like even though he's not with them anymore. He's promised I go to prepare a place for you. It's going to be wonderful. It'll be with the Father. He promises that their prayers that they've made in his name will be heard and answered by him. He promises that they will be unified with the Father in ways that they can't even fathom at this time. He's promised them a helper. And he says, This helper is going to be to your advantage. It's better that I send him than that I stay with you. Think about that for a minute. He says, This helper will be with you always. And even more so, he will be within you. Now we stop and think about that, we, we gloss over that. The helper will be with you and he will be in you. Jesus promises that God will dwell inside their hearts. If that's not encouraging news, then I, I don't know what would be. Throughout all of the story of scripture, man has sought a relationship with God and now Jesus is promising that when I go, God will be with you for the first time in the most real way you can ever imagine. That's a promise that my absence will guarantee. Last week we heard Jesus promise strength to those who would abide with him and in him that he would be the vine and they would be the branches and they would grow fruit as they went onto the world and they lived out the love that he'd given them, that they lived loved. He gave them a final command and he said, guys, I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. You're gonna need it as we learn this morning, we're gonna see Jesus talk about a third relationship that maybe isn't quite as characterized by love as the ones he's laid out before. He's promised the love of the Father, he's promised the love for each other, but today we talk about a third relationship that not quite as friendly. And that's the response that they will face from the world, who's not sure it's ready to love Jesus quite yet. With that, by way of introduction, please stand one more time as we open up God's word. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 16.4. Jesus tells his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoke to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you left your disciples such message of hope in the midst of challenge, in the midst of troubles. You shored them up once and again and again and again. Would you be with us this morning as we continue to live in a world that, that meets you with enmity, that meets your messengers with hatred. Lord, would you be glorified this morning as we dive into your word and see how you would encourage your disciples and how you would have us face the days to come would you be glorified this morning by your word and by your people? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've titled the message for this morning, Hatred for the World, From the World, Help for the Mission, and Hope when Times are Hard. Three H's. I couldn't have come up with a 4H. Sorry, 4H people. Now, I mentioned that up until this point, Jesus had talked about promises and hopes that the disciples have to hang their hats on. He's talked about changed relationship with the Father. He's talked about glorious promise for their relationship with each other. Now he goes on to one that is not so promising. Jesus gives his disciples a caution about what to expect as his followers in a world that isn't ready to accept him and that may never be so. Jesus promises to send his divine helper And he closes with a hope in the promises that he's made when things are at their worst. So we'll take a look closer at the word. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. It's a troublesome message to start with. The disciples who walked with Jesus for his entire ministry, probably they don't need the reminder that the world hates Jesus. They've been with him, they've seen this response he's received, they've heard the taunts, they've probably dodged some of the rocks that were thrown at him as he went about in ministry. They know that the world hates Jesus. Maybe he's told them about his early history where a king tried to kill him before he even knew what his calling was. They know that the world hates Jesus but they don't know the whole story yet. We have the benefit in the rest of this book of seeing just how deep that hate will go. In a few hours, the disciples will see Jesus falsely condemned, falsely accused, beaten, brutalized, mocked, and crucified. They will see the hatred of the world poured out with the worst that it can offer. The world has indeed hated Jesus more than anyone before or since, and the disciples have already seen a glimpse of what that looks like. The question that I found myself asking at home during the study is why? does this world hate Jesus so much now at my house again when you ask a why question you get a strange answer usually it's because it do you can guess where that came from that's the answer to every why question why is the dog on fire because he do I don't know that that's a satisfying response to why does the world hate Jesus but keep it in mind Studying a little bit beyond the two-year-old answer, the answer I settled upon is this, the world hates Jesus because he is everything that the world is not. Jesus is the light of the world. Scripture tells us the world hates the light and wants darkness so that it can keep its evil hidden. Jesus promises to bring life and the world without a connection to the Father is dead. The world bows its knee to the evil one while Jesus bows only to the king and the father. Jesus loves the father while the world stands in constant open rebellion to him, against him. Jesus is everything the world has come to hate as the disease of sin seems to be the only thing that thrives. Jesus shines as everything good and holy and right when the t- of from the father in a dark world that would rather be ignorant and evil and lost. So Jesus goes on then to remind his friends that they should expect nothing different from the world than he's gotten. As image bearers of Christ, they can expect to hear the same sorts of taunts, dodge the same rocks, face the same slings and arrows that he has. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just like Jesus, they don't belong. Jesus' work of choosing the disciples carries all the weight of the gospel behind it. That calling separates the disciples and those who follow him from the world. It sets them apart. It severs their citizenship in the world. It ends their allegiance to this world's king and unites them with the Father. It makes them servants of the true king. And worst of all, from the world's perspective, it leaves them looking like foreigners and aliens and enemies, like Jesus. Jesus tells his family, the world hates me because I confess to it that its deeds are evil. The disciples have the same mission ahead of them. Go forth with the gospel and let them know The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later on, we'll hear Jesus pray for his disciples. He'll say, Lord, I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. The disciples have been taken out of darkness into a marvelous light and the world can't stand it. It hates them because it do. Thankfully, not everybody hates the disciples. Not everybody hates Jesus. Not everybody hates Christians. There is some small consolation in the little word if that starts at the beginning of our passage. If the world hates you. We know that Jesus met some people who wanted him. He met some people who recognized their need, who had hearts that were broken by sin, who wanted to hear the good news and all he had to offer. The disciples will meet some of the same people. It won't always be hatred. After all, we wouldn't be here if everybody hated Jesus. Thank God that he's pulled some hearts out of darkness and continues to do so. But they are gonna meet people who respond to them the same way it did to Jesus. I don't wanna hear the message that you have. I'd rather throw rocks. Jesus says, the servant's not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The response that he's received from the world should be what the disciples expect as well, the good and the bad and the ugly. Jesus goes on and says, but they will do all these things to you because of my name, on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus ties the response of the world to both himself and the disciples to its ignorance of who he really is. By his words and his works, he's taken away the excuse that they would cling to. We just didn't know. I don't know how many people have been pulled over for a speeding ticket and tried that response. I just didn't know doesn't work any better then than it does here over and over in John's gospel we see Jesus point to his words and his works as inarguable testimony of who he is who has sent him and what he means to the world over and over again he requires a response from the world the world would rather cling to its ignorance and since it doesn't have that to fall back on anymore it responds with hatred. Now, it's important to note that when Jesus says they would not be guilty of sin, he's not suggesting that the world would be sinless or free of guilt altogether. He's talking about their response to him. If I had not come and shown up, they wouldn't have known to hate me, but I did. I taught them everything the Father had me to teach them, I did works that no one else could do to show who I was, they don't have any excuse any longer and the world doesn't like it. The sin and the guilt that the world must now face comes because Jesus has revealed himself and God's plan is on display, like it or not. Now Jesus is not surprised at the world's response with so many aspects of his life, even this meets the promise of scripture. Jesus quotes Psalm 69 verse 4 specifically this is a Psalm of David that has described Jesus on more than one occasion zeal for my house will characterize me but he goes on and he says more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause mighty are those who would destroy me and those who attack me with lies Jesus knew what to expect and he's warning the disciples this is what you can expect as well The message and the identity and the life that they live in Christ is going to evoke the same response from the world that he has. They don't belong anymore. I see this at work a lot, actually. And it's maybe not the best word picture, but it's one that hits home. I stand in the kitchen at work. Some of you know I work in a juvenile facility. I watch two young men who, for all I could tell, look like brothers. They've come from the same neighborhood. They've gone to the same school. They could, be the, they could be friends, but they're both in handcuffs and they're screaming things that I don't even understand at one another. If we let them loose, they would beat each other to a pulp. If they had the opportunity, one would kill the other because one doesn't belong to the same gang as the other. Somehow one of them figured out that the other one was from the wrong side of the tracks or used the wrong sign. I don't know what gang sign looks like. They do weird things with their fingers, but one has figured out you don't belong and you're the enemy and I'll do everything in my power to crush you for no other reason than you don't look like me. That's the world the disciples can plan to face. They don't belong anymore. Fortunately, they don't have to face that world alone. Jesus goes on and says, but when the helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Jesus doesn't intend to leave the disciples on their own to struggle against a world that hates them. He tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I have a helper for you. He doesn't say a lot here. We're going to hear more about that next week, I believe, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But once again, he gives them the assurance that there's help coming and that they don't have to face this world alone. Up to this point, we've heard some amazing things about the helper. As I already mentioned, he will dwell within us. He'll be with us forever. He's called the spirit of truth. Jesus promises that the spirit will teach them all the things and he will bring to their mind all the things that he taught them before. And today we hear that this spirit will help them in their witness because they have work to do in spite of Jesus leaving. They no longer just get to sit tight relax and mourn his, his loss they have a work of witness to do and they have help coming and Jesus closes today's passage by reminding them of all the promises that he's been giving them so that they'll have something to cling to when he's gone the hope when times get tough Jesus says I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away they will put you out of the synagogues indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The religious leaders of the day have refused to acknowledge Jesus. They have despised the Father because they've despised the Son. The same people who have longed so desperately for God's promised Messiah have missed him, labeled him a blasphemer and planned to kill him. Once again, bless you, the words of Isaiah chapter 66 come to pass. This verse is just stuck out in the middle of my study. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they that shall be put to shame. The Jewish leaders and those who would kill Jesus think they're doing God a favor. God, you see, we're getting rid of those that you don't like. Be glorified. Think about how wrong that thinking is. We're killing your son to do you a favor. Why aren't you happy? The disciples can expect and will receive the same kind of persecution as messengers of Jesus carrying forth the good news because of his name's sake, they will see, receive the same treatment he did. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. We again know what history brings. Those men face all the worst the world can offer. The leaders of the day clothed in what they think is righteousness can excuse anything and any treatment they dish out on the disciples. Jesus knows that this is what they face. He can see down the road, and so he reminds them once again of the promises he's made. I've said all these things to you so that when their hour comes, you remember what I told you. So much of this final evening with the disciples is meant to strengthen them in their days to come. They will need desperately to turn their eyes and their hearts toward Jesus over and over and over again. Jesus promised them help He promises them peace, unity with the Father. He promises joy. He promises a future home. He promises everything this world will not offer. And with the armor of those promises, with the security of their blessed hope, Jesus knows that the disciples will be able to stand fast. With the time that we have left, let's think about what the Lord might have us take away from this passage. We have the blessing to live in a world where maybe the response to the gospel is not quite as violent as it was in those days. I have not yet had a rock thrown at me for the gospel. And yet we do live in a world that still faces the same problem with Jesus. The message hasn't changed. He is the way and the truth and the life and this world doesn't like that ultimatum. We, like the disciples, have been chosen out of the world. We've been chosen out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Peter describes our citizenship in Christ this way, in First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. He says, "You Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light." Peter calls those in Christ sojourners and exiles. And for those who follow Jesus, this world seems to be very different than it was before. And this world certainly sees us very differently than it did before. The name of Jesus is still the most significant name you can put in any conversation. We talk a lot around here about finding people who are spiritually open. I have a new test. Pat, you'll like this one, I think. Work the name of Jesus into a conversation and see how people respond. I spend all day with people who desperately need Jesus whether they know it or not. I can talk to them about spirituality till I'm blue in the face. Everybody likes to talk about spirituality these days. It can take any form it wants. I can talk to them about God. God can be whoever you want him to be. I actually knew someone who said God resided in his doorknob and that's where he prayed question that theology but the minute I talk about Jesus the response to me changes and you can almost you can almost set your watch by it people who are fully into a conversation three words before get real weird when you hear the name of Jesus you want to know if someone's spiritually open Drop the name of Jesus in the next spiritual conversation you have with someone and see how they respond. If they're interested, go for it. Share everything they'll listen to. If they run, don't be surprised. Spirituality doesn't save souls. God has a name and a face that's outlined here. But Jesus is the only Jesus there is. And he's the only name that matters at the end of the day. If we fail to bring him up into a conversation, we're not doing anybody any favors. We're called to be witnesses of Christ in a world that still needs him. And just like the disciples faced, we faced mixed responses. Paul writes to the Corinthians two different times with some nice word pictures. In 1 Corinthians 1, he tells the church, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, for the, we, those people who testify to the gospel, are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. The message of Christ remains the only source of hope the world's ever going to be offered but because of sin and darkness sometimes it seems like foolishness. Because of the way the world is sometimes it seems rotten. We're called to be faithful to share it nonetheless. Some final things to strengthen us as we go from here out onto that mission where we may meet people willing to throw rocks. Number one is rejoice when you're persecuted for the name of Jesus. More than one time, Jesus says, blessed are you, when, you rev- when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, right? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Peter, again, in chapter 4 of his book, writes... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice when you share Christ's sufferings. I don't know about you, but I don't go looking for sufferings. And yet we're called to rejoice in it. Why is that? Rejoice when the world hates you because your life in Christ is getting noticed. One of the prayers today was, I confess all the places in my life that the world doesn't yet hate because I'm not showing you off in those aspects of my life. If the world hates you because of Jesus' name, you are showing him off to the world around you. Keep at it. Rocks only hurt so long, they build character. Persecution will hurt your heart, but knowing that you're quiet about your witness will hurt so much more. Folks, we have family and friends, coworkers and loved ones who need to hear the gospel. Be willing to suffer just a little bit of persecution, a little bit of weirdness at the Thanksgiving table because you're the Jesus guy or girl. Yeah, it might make the conversation a little bit difficult, but it's not going to be any worse than politics or football or whatever other awkward thing shows up in the dinner table, but at least this one matters. Be prepared to face that persecution and rejoice when you see it because it means the world's taking notice of God's work in your life. Now, one caution that came up as I thought about these the last couple days, is be careful you're being persecuted because of Jesus. What I mean is this. There's a lot of Christians that begin their life in faith really well, and they're changed by knowing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that comes from God. But somehow, the honeymoon of faith wears off just a little bit, and their passion wanes just a little. The world starts to get back in the way. Old sins start to creep back in. The roaring lion that's the evil one looks for baby Christians to eat because they're easier to catch. And your life starts looking a little bit like it used to before and the people that you're witnessing to start to say, man, what a hypocrite. He's telling us all about Jesus but he's doing the same things he did a month ago. Clearly this Jesus guy is not where it's at. Other people take their faith and their Newfound life in Christ and their righteousness in God becomes self righteousness. And as they're sharing the gospel, they start to hurt people's hearts because they're judging them. Be careful that you're being persecuted because of Christ's name, not your own. The world is quick to take imperfect Christians, which we all are. The world would like to magnify all of those faults so that it can discredit the gospel and question your witness. Peter, again in chapter 2, verse 12, says, When they speak against you as evildoers, let them instead see your good deeds and glorify God. Make sure we're protecting our witness because we're called to do it. Jesus needs to be the one on display. Two more things. Number one is rely on the Holy Spirit. Over and over again, we're going to hear about the ministry of this person of God who will come and be with us and be in us. Work on that relationship. I will confess I don't completely know what that means. For as long as I have been a Christian, I have not understood what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit. I know all the right words. I can lead you to the right verses. I can point you to books that say wonderful things about who this person of God is. A while back, we read Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God. I suggest you read it and read it again. Rely on the Holy Spirit. He is above all members of the Trinity is the one who is nearest to us right now. Cultivate that relationship. Look for Him. Pray to Him. Seek Him out. Seek Him in the Word because He's there right now. Then the last one, I tell my son this all the time, rehearse the promises in His work in your life. Jesus closes our passage this morning with the words, I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you so that you will not fall away. There is power and there is protection and there is joy in remembering and rehearsing all the things that Jesus has done and promised you. This world and its woes, the evil one and its lies, the damage of sin, whether it's ours or others, all seek to drag us away from the calling of Christ. We can insulate ourselves, we can insert our lives from the worst this world has to offer by keeping the work of Jesus at the forefront of our minds. Spend time daily thanking him for what he's done. Get specific. I had a pamphlet once that it was 95 promises of who I am in Christ. I think Pat gave me that. Thank you, brother. Stop and dwell upon who you are in Christ and what he's done. This world can provide No wound that can't be healed by knowing Jesus. Stop and dwell upon that and guard your heart and mind in the truth of all that you are as one called by your loving Savior out of this world and loved and protected by him. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord Jesus, we live for your name's sake. We face a world that hates you for your name's sake, for who you are. Lord, as we do our very best to live lives of your as your image bearers, Lord, would you would you first be glorified by those lives that you have changed and you have bought that you protect, that you call your own. Lord, as your adopted children, would we Would we carry the name of our loving father and savior to the world around us that needs it so very much? Lord, would we be persecuted for your name's sake, not for our failings, not for our own brand of righteousness, but only because of what you have done? Lord, would you bring us before people who are ready to hear your word, who don't balk at the name of Jesus, but feel the tugging on their hearts that lead them to you as you have called us to yourself. Lord Jesus, for your name's sake, would we live lives that glorify you. We ask these things in your precious and holy name, Lord. And God's people all said, Amen.